All right. Hey, grab a seat. Man, so good to be with you guys today. How's everybody doing? So fellow Duck fans, uh, I feel like we need to upgrade our heart medication on these games. I didn't used to have heart trouble, but now watching Oregon Ducks games, uh, I'm sitting white knuckled on the couch. You know, my children come through. Hi, Dad. Get away from me. You know, I'm just (laughs) tense. And uh, this was, uh, but we won. I'd rather win ugly than lose pretty, right? That's what Bethany said about me. She won ugly. You know what I mean? She, she won ugly. Uh, this, this is actually my birthday week. Um, I'm turning 25. Yeah. 25. Uh, it's a good age. I'm excited. You guys are laughing. I know. I know. I, 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 I am older than that. Uh, undisclosed age. But I'm somewhere between 25 and 50. But I'm in that range. And uh, it's my birthday week. If, you, if that sounds weird to say birthday week or even birthday month, it's because you don't have my mom. My mom is Sicilian, and Sicilians are good at two things. Um, killing people, that's one, and then throwing really good parties, right? So you're either sleeping with the fishes or you're over at a Sicilian's house to eat fish, uh, and it's a good thing. And so my mom's side of the family, like she, she's just always been into birthdays. And so she'd be like, Jake, it's your birthday week or your birthday month. And so we just celebrate for a whole month. So I'm still open for like gifts, compliments. I mean, whatever you've got, uh, it's my birthday week and excited about that. But I did, it wasn't all, you know, roses and, and, and good stuff. It wasn't all duck wins uh, this year or this, this week. Yesterday, because the Ducks had played on Friday, I didn't have college football, uh, you know, my team to watch. Obviously, there's other games you can watch, you know, let's be reasonable. But uh, decided let's do some projects. So we, we, we decided to get our garage cleaned up and I was doing some work and we had to return some things to Jerry's home improvement. So I go to Jerry's and uh, I was there for maybe 30, 45 minutes going in and out, parking lot, just different places. And so uh, we get back home, do a little bit more work. We come to the church to drop some stuff off here at the church. And as I'm walking in the doors here at the church and thank God nobody else was here, it was just our family. Uh, but as we're walking in, my daughter, Penny, she's six years old. She says, Dad, I see your underwear. And I said, nuh-uh, you know, because kids just prank, right? How many of you have kids? Kids are basically, you know, they're a problem, and we're working on them. <laughs> but they just prank, and that, they just joke and all this kind of stuff. She says, Dad, I see your underwear. I'm like, no, you don't, you know, oh, whatever. And uh, uh, she did, um, in fact. She says, no, I do see your underwear. And I thought about it, and I thought, hmm, I do feel a slight breeze. And... Um, <laughs> I put my hand back here and I touched uh, unclothed flesh. It was my thigh without jeans. And I realized my jeans had split from basically the belt down to about my, the back of my knee. And so I was walking around exposed. And then I thought, oh God, please do not have let me been walking around Jerry's home improvement with half of my buttocks. Uh, Exposed. So if you see any news articles about a local pastor having indecent exposure or something, please just recognize that it's not what it sounds like. Uh, anyways, yeah, my daughter was not pranking me. My pants had really, really split. And uh, that, I don't know what that tells me about the, the tightness of the jeans I wear or weight loss goals or anything like that, but that was what happened to me. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. And that transitions us into our message today. What's the moral of the story? There you go. Sell them as $65 for distress. They're, they're very distressed. <laughs> they would be considered troubled jeans at this point. They're very distressed. Um, man, I've, I've really been enjoying this uh, sermon series and just believing God is working so many great things in us as we go through this. 
Bethany did a wonderful job last week teaching about sin and uh, talking about the problem that we face. We've been in this series called Sunday School. How many of you have actually been growing and enjoying this? Don't, don't give like a, like a courtesy hand wave, but has God been actually speaking to you and working in you through this series? Uh, I hope and pray that's the case. Um, in this Sunday School series, we're talking about going back to school and really understanding the beautiful basics of our faith, really connecting with what we believe, why we believe it, and how to live it out faithfully as followers of Jesus. And I won't uh, belabor the point, but we live in a day and age in which truth is under attack. And actually, I wouldn't even say truth is under attack. Truth is, for many people, considered to be completely unknowable. Uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks about this type of a, of a culture because they faced it thousands of years ago. There's nothing new under the sun. He says, uh, justice cannot enter, equity cannot come in, because truth has fallen in the street. What you will find throughout history, if you study this out and what you can see in our, our own day and age, is that when truth becomes, um, when truth is cheapened or when truth is knocked down, when it's fallen in the street, when there's not consensus and when there is not a, uh, whether it be moral or uh, other forms of truth are not held up and, and agreed upon, that it creates a, a culture of injustice, it creates a culture of violence, it creates this kind of world that we're seeing around us. And so truth is something that really matters. And when we talk about being Christians, uh, the, the, the Christian faith has from the very beginning not just been how do you feel? Do you have good feelings? Do you feel goosebumps? Because Jesus, he, he's in my heart, my little heart, and I feel butterflies. Like we feel butterflies, man. We felt God's presence today. It feels good. There is an emotional, there is a spiritual thing and a supernatural thing that goes on. But from the beginning, the Christian faith was also about the mind. God wants to redeem and rescue the whole person, body, soul, spirit, mind, all of you. And so there's this aspect uh, of, of our faith that is intellectual and academic, and that's what we're studying. Jesus' disciple, Peter, he said, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And so for the Christian, it's not enough just to go, oh, I just believe it. I just believe it. No, because if you believe it, then you'll obey it. And what the scripture says, what God speaks to us is that it is important that you be ready to give an answer for that hope that is within you. Why? Because our call is to make disciples. If you can't tell somebody what you believe, why you believe it, then how are you going to make disciples, right? And so it's important for us to go back to school and learn this stuff and really get it inside of us. Incidentally, it will help us have a better relationship with God and really enjoy our walk of faith. So in this series, just to recap really quickly, we've talked about the fact that we, we see the problem in our world. And uh, like Isaiah the prophet says, you know, does God hear us? Does he, does he answer? And the prophet says, yes, God hears. But here's the problem. Sin has piled up. And so justice can't come in. Truth has fallen in the street. So we serve a God that is not silent. He spoke to us through the, the prophets. He spoke to us through the Bible. And he speaks to us ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. He also didn't stay aloof and afar off from us, but he acted in the person of Jesus. God actually stepped into our situation uh, in the person of Christ. We talked last week about the problem that we face. Bethany uh, shared a message about sin and the reality of our sinful condition. And that's the, the why, uh, but we're going to talk today about the what, what Christ has done. In light of the fact that God has spoken, in light of the fact that God has acted, in light of the fact that we see our sinful condition and our need for a Savior, it's not a popular thing to talk about these days, but sin is actually the root issue. What we observe in society and observe in our own lives is the fruit of a particular tree. It is the symptoms, but there is a source, and that source is sin. And it's interesting in our culture because people will want to identify uh, anything other than the fact that we have a moral disease 
uh, that we call sin, the Bible calls sin, that has separated us from God, that has broken our relationship with God and broken our relationship with other people. But that is the issue. But having acknowledged the fact that we do have a sin problem, then we must turn and say, okay, what does it mean to have a Savior? What has Christ done? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Are you ready? Awesome. Okay. John Stott says this, and I love this quote. He says, Christianity is a rescue religion. It declares that God has taken the initiative in Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sins. That is the main theme of the Bible. And he gives some scriptures here. Matthew 1, 21. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. Luke 19, 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. 1 Timothy 1, 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And 1 John 4, 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. What does he mean when he says Christianity is a rescue religion. You see, if you compare all of the isms and the anities, right, the eanities, the different faiths or beliefs or worldviews or philosophies that the world has, what you will see is there's a, dis- uh, a distinction between the Christian faith and every other, what I would call man-made or man-originated worldview or religion. You see, when you see a man-made religion, what it always says is you might have a problem of some kind, maybe it's internal, maybe it's external, But here's what you need to do. If you will light this candle, if you will do this dance, if you will do the hokey pokey and turn yourself about. (laughs) Told you I was 25. See those moves right there? (laughs) How do you think I tore my jeans? Yeah, I know. Watch out for the jeans. If you will follow this particular, you know, uh, creed, if you will believe the right stuff, then you will basically get yourself to God or get yourself to perfection or get yourself to heaven, right? Does that make sense? Now you can actually turn the Christian religion into that where it's just rote and, and, and duty and religion. And if I go to church and if I don't cuss and if I don't root for the Huskies, then I'll go to heaven, you know? And, but that's not the case. It's not that we can earn our way. So what we understand about the Christian faith is it tells a completely different story. The Christian faith says not that we are the hero of our story, but rather we are the villain. And we're also not just the villain, we're also the victim, that sin is both, we're both originators and we, we, we do bad things and we hurt other people, but we've also been victimized. We've also been hurt by sin and we find ourselves basically lost. We find ourselves in the dark and we require someone to come into our situation. And that is the story of the Christian faith, that God didn't stay silent. He didn't stay afar off. He sent Jesus and Jesus is the hero of this story, that Jesus came to save us. That's what John Stott means when he talks about Christianity being a rescue religion. But what did that rescue look like? And I think to understand this, we have to really understand one thing, and that is the cross of Christ. Now, the cross is interesting to me because the cross is both foreign and familiar. It's foreign because we, thank God, don't crucify people anymore, at least not regularly. Um, And I've never done it before, so I don't know about your experience. I won't speak for you. But we, as a society, as a culture, we don't use that horrendous form of of execution. Um, uh, As far as I know, it's not being widely practiced around the world. And so the actual event of a cross, of a crucifixion, we actually get our word excruciating. It means ex, out of, cruce, the cross. The word excruciating comes from what the cross is, what that event is. It's foreign to us because we can't even grasp the horror of that event that took place. 
When Jesus was whipped with the with the, he was skirt, you know, whipped with that scourge, that whip, it was tearing the flesh. Many scholars believe you could actually see his internal organs. And then he was forced to carry this beam and he was, he was nailed to this cross. I mean, it's, it, it's absolutely horrendous. It's foreign to us. But then the, the cross is also familiar to us because we wear it as a little necklace, a little gold necklace. Oh, that's my cross. Oh, I just say a prayer to the man upstairs when I, you know, want to score a touchdown. Like we, it's familiar to us. Like we see the cross on it's a symbol and we kind of get it. It represents Jesus, represents love, represents that he died for my sins. And we, it's sort of familiar to us. But actually understanding the cross is critical to connecting with what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do in the future. Understanding the cross is absolutely critical. Not only was the cross God's chosen vehicle to judge sin and provide redemption and reconciliation once and for all, it is also the means by which we follow Jesus and become more like him. Salvation is not just a past event, and salvation is not just a future occurrence that we look forward to. Salvation is occurring right now, here and now, in our hearts. As we place our faith in Jesus, he uses the cross, as we take up our cross, to actually sanctify us and turn, uh, uh, help us become more like Jesus. If you want to write this down, or at least just get it in your mind and mark it, this is really the, some... some uh, the, the summation statement of this message that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. When we talk about being saved and what God is doing in our lives now as he saves us and sanctifies us, it's all about the cross. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Like anything in life, if you don't get it, it won't really work for you. It doesn't really do anything for you. Let me give you an example. Sushi. For, for many years of my life, people would say, oh, I want to go eat sushi. And I'd be like, Bleh. how many of you know, if people make vomit sounds when they describe, you describe your meal, like that person isn't into it, you know? And I'll tell people now, oh, I want to go eat sushi. They're like, oh, gross. Oh, I'll never eat raw fish. And you're like, okay, well, you're kind of not getting it. How many sushi lovers in the room here, Okay. So what happens is you sort of go the gateway drug of, of California rolls, right? You know what I mean? With a lot of soy sauce. It's like the gateway drug of sushi. Then somebody really adventurous, my wife, she's like, try the spicy tuna. And I'm like, all right, wow. I'm going to be like, oh, that's spicy tuna. I was like, well. And uh, I tried spicy tuna and I was like, it's not horrible. And now I'll be like a live eel or something. You know what I mean? I just, no, I don't do that. But I do eat raw fish on rice. You know, I, I, I do the sushi thing, right? Sashimi. And how many of you enjoy that? But, but, but until you sort of get it, until you're at that level uh, where you've actually developed this taste and you've gotten to that point, it doesn't, it, it actually might even sound repulsive to you. So how can something be a delicacy to one and be an absolute horror to another? Because you're not initiated into it. And, and Paul speaks about the cross and he says, look, if you don't get the cross, if you don't see the cross, if you don't understand the cross, and if you don't participate in the life of the cross, the way of Jesus, it just looks so stupid. It just looks so foolish. If you go back to this time in history, to the, to the Greek philosophers and the Greco-Roman world, the, this idea of a criminal execution somehow resulting in people getting right with God or getting to heaven was absolutely, utterly like, what? Made no sense. To the Jews, it made no sense. But to those who experienced the cross, Paul says, when you taste it, when you see it, when you get it, 
you realize it's the power of God. And so we must look into the meaning of the cross. Now today I want to give us two uh, kind of topics to, or, or angles to see the cross through of what Jesus was doing and what the cross represented. Number one, Christ died as our example. The cross of Christ is the call of every Christian because to be a Christian literally means to be a little Christ or to be like Christ. But that is only accomplished through the cross. Again, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Now, Jesus says something interesting in Luke chapter 9 as he talks about the cross and, and how he gives us this example of what the cross represents of laying your life down. He says in Luke chapter 9, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, what's interesting about that, what's interesting about this passage in Luke chapter 9 is that we know from this vantage point of history that Jesus then goes and dies on the cross at some point in the future from this moment. But at this point in time, he hasn't yet. And so when he gives these words, I want you to think about the shock value this would have. The citizens of this nation of Israel here, they, they understood the cross or a crucifixion to be basically the most horrendous means of criminal execution. So it'd be akin to somebody in our day and age saying, listen, what you need to do if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, is you need to uh, go and take up your execution chair, take up your electric chair every day. You need to take up your electric chair and really sit in it. And, and every single day, you need to just die a horrible death. That's what Jesus was saying. No wonder people would stop following him, right? No wonder he would shrink his church all the time because he's saying this kind of stuff, but he gives context. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So when Jesus talks about taking up the cross, when he talks about this life of laying your life down, which is again, foolish if you don't understand it, totally outside of what we'd ever want to do if you don't understand it, what does he mean? Well, he's talking about the fact that the life of a Christian is the life of dying to yourself. And why would you want to die to yourself? Well, because yourself is a sinner in need of a savior. Yourself is part of the problem that you feel internally and wrestle with internally, but also see manifested in society and the world at large. The reason that you need to die to yourself is so that you can have new life in Christ as he promised. And so he says to us, you must take up your cross. If you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The cross means daily death to self, death to our pride and ambition. It means death to our selfish and self-serving ways. It means death to our rebellious independence from God and from other people. Some people think, oh, if I get right with God and I have my religion and my faith and I trust Jesus and I listen to Hillsong worship every morning, but I'm a jerk to everybody else, then I'm okay. No, because Jesus said, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So sometimes sin manifests itself as total, you know, pride in our own religion. I'm such a good Christian. Look how good I am. I'm so good with God. Well, God doesn't really feel like you're good with him if you're not good with other people. Death to rebellious independence from God and others. Death to self-righteousness. Laying our life down for other people, not just our friends, but even our enemies. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. When he talks about the cross, sorry guys, I don't know why it's doing that. Anything I can do, guy, to make that stop? Just keep, stand still. <laughs> if it keeps doing it, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I, I'm Italian, I need my hands. 
yeah, if I don't have my hands free, I don't know how to even preach with, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, the cross ultimately means death to your own way, death to, your, death to yourself so that you can have new life in Christ. And, and Christ goes and dies on the cross as an example for us to show us and how he lived, but most, most exemplified in the cross. Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about this. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is what Jesus did to show us the way, that the way of life, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And this is going to make sense, I think, more as we continue to go through this, but that is what, how, why Christ died, one of the reasons, to give us an example. Paul kind of picks up this theme in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about giving up kind of his own accomplishments and things in order that he may gain Christ. But he says uh, in verse 9 in Philippians 3, "...and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith." And listen here, this is the key to understanding the way of the cross. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How many of us want to enjoy the power of his resurrection? Because if you're a Christian and you don't, aren't excited about resurrection life, like you're missing kind of the biggest benefit of being a Christian. Being a Christian means that death, which has been the great enemy for all people throughout time and the undefeated heavyweight champion, was finally defeated by Jesus Christ and that by putting your trust in him, you can have everlasting life. That's what John 3.16 says, right? And so resurrection life is the point. We want resurrection life, don't we? This death that we feel in our bodies that we face every day, physical death, emotional death, spiritual death, relational death, this is what Jesus came to solve. And Paul says, I wanna, I wanna know the power of his resurrection. And we all say, yes, me too. But then Paul goes on and he says this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And that's where everybody who was sort of asleep in the sermon goes, huh, not that. How many of us would love the glory of Christ, the resurrection life of Christ, the restored relationships of Christ, the great marriage, the great family, the prosperity, the, the good stuff that comes in a relationship with Jesus? Because like, let's not even beat around the bush when you know Jesus and he begins to work in your life, specifically over decades, it is a better life. Does that mean you always get a limousine and you know, God's going to give you everything you ever want? No, 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 no. There's going to be hard stuff, just like for everybody who's alive. But I'll just honestly like observing my own life and every single person I know, I've never seen a real follower of Jesus who ever thought their life would be better without Jesus. Even, even in the normal, tangible, measurable things of life, much less the eternal reward awaiting. We all want the benefits of the kingdom. But Paul says, but, but I also want to share the fellowship of his sufferings. And this is where you have to go, well, what does that mean? Like, why? He says, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, if you don't die with Christ, if you don't die to yourself, then how does the living and resurrection power of Jesus become alive and work in you? I mean, think about everything we do as Christians. It's all really macabre. It's all really like Halloween appropriate. It's all very death focused. 
our symbol, like that we wear on necklaces and stuff, is an execution device. We sing about blood. You ever like, walked into church and just thought, okay, I'm going to act like I'm not a Christian. Never heard these songs before. We're singing about love and all this stuff and blood. <laughs> all of our songs are like a, a Twilight novel. You know what I mean? It's very interesting. We, we, we do this thing called baptism, right? You ever know what I'm talking about? Like we don't do it on Sunday morning, but we, we do it at uh, uh, Upper Room you can get baptized. And when we baptize people, what we do is we, we go, we, we say like a nice prayer. Like it feels really good. You know what I mean? It's cool. It's like, hey, you've given your life to Jesus. And now based on your confession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And we, we dunk them in the water. Do you know what that means? That's because if we, if we could baptize people in the dirt and they didn't like physically die, that's what we would do because it would be more appropriate. But we have to use water as a symbol of the fact that this person that we're holding up right here and praying this nice prayer over, they're dead now. They have died. Say hello to your new zombie brother or sister in Christ. <laughs> they have now gone down into, the, into death. Their sins took them out. They had a fatal disease called sin and it took them out. And now they're dying. They're going into the waters of baptism, which really are the burial waters. But when we pull them back out, what we're symbolizing is, hey, they're now alive in Christ. Everything we do is focused on death, not because we're celebrating death. Actually, it's the opposite. It's that we're so excited and so obsessed with this resurrection life that Christ promises that we're willing to follow him through the dark, hard yards, through the dark, hard valley of the cross and the suffering of his, the fellowship of his suffering so that we can, as Paul says, by any means attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so when Jesus shows us the way, he's saying, look, the way of sin, it looks like life, but it leads to death. And the way of death in Christ, when you give up your life for his sake, it looks like death, might even feel like death. And in many cases, it is death, but it leads to life. And so Christ says, follow me. This is the example. As I lay my life down, this is what you will do. And we could just go on and on and on about that, but I want to move on because a good example actually isn't enough. Uh, the challenge, John Stott says, of the cross is as uncomfortable now as it was then, and it, but it's as relevant today as it has ever been. Perhaps nothing is more completely opposed to our natural instincts this, than this command not to resist, but to bear unjust suffering and overcome evil with good. Yet the cross urges us to accept injury, love our enemies, and leave the outcome to God. But the death of Jesus is more than an inspiring example. If this were all there is to it, much of what we find in the Gospels would make no sense because there are those strange sayings, like when Jesus says that he would give his life as a ransom for many or shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. There is no redemption in an example. A pattern cannot secure our pardon. What John Stott is saying here is that though Jesus shows us that the way to life is through dying to self, it's actually not enough because even knowing what is right, we don't do it. Even knowing what is true, we still believe the lies. Even seeing the light, we still choose darkness because this problem of sin, again, is a fatal disease. And it isn't just that we do bad things from time to time. It's that we are rotten from the core and it has even skewed our ability to get it right. And so Jesus didn't just die as our example. He died on the cross as our sin bearer, as the spotless lamb of God. 
An example can stir our imagination. It can kindle our idealism and strengthen our resolve, but it cannot remove the stains of our past sin, bring peace to a troubled conscience, or restore our relationship with God. The example of Christ is not the whole point. It's also the efficacy of the work of Christ at the cross. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, it says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I want you to imagine that you go to a restaurant. You just go hog ape wild. You just eat all the sushi. You're eating the eel. You're eating all of it. You're eating the spider crab. You're just like going crazy and you rack up this bill. It's $5,000 because man, you have a gluttony problem like me and you went to you know, the sushi place and you just, you just took the place out. Come on, that sounds like a fun day, doesn't it? It's like competitive eating, right? You're like the Joey Chestnut of sushi. Only a few people will understand who that is. Does anybody know who Joey Chestnut is? He's the hot dog guy. Yeah, he's, so you go and you just, you just wreck the sushi place. And then they go, hey, we really appreciate your visit here today, but now it's time to pay the bill. And you pull out your wallet and moths fly out. And you open your bank account app and you have $3.14 except for you actually owe your brother 20 bucks. So you're negative, 17. And they say, you have this bill and you must pay it. And if you don't, then the sushi chef is gonna, he's gonna get sue you. Like you're done. Okay, you can't, you can't pay the debt, but the debt must be paid. If I then come in to the restaurant out of the goodness of my heart and I pay your bill and I say, hey, this person, they just, they wrecked the restaurant. I mean, but here, we're writing the check. There it is, boom, it's all good. Okay, at that point, you are now okay. You can now exit the restaurant and go on with your business. This is what Jesus did for us when it comes to our sins. We have an unpayable bill. We have this debt that is so great, we could never get it back or earn it. It's even worse than the sushi example. It's just the best example I could think of on the spot. But Christ did that in order to satisfy that debt that you owe to God. 1 John 3, 5, do you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for God made Christ to never sin, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The scripture is very clear about this issue. We had this unpayable debt and Jesus came and it, he didn't just give us an example. He actually paid the bill and he did it once and for all. Sin had separated us from God. But Jesus came in and he died for us just once decisively so that what he did cannot be repeated or improved upon or even supplemented. And what this means is this. It means that no religious observance or good behavior on our part could ever earn our forgiveness. And yet many people accept the character of the Christian faith that, that, that it can. They see religion as a system human of merit. God helps those who help themselves, they say. But there is no way that this view can be reconciled with the cross of Christ. He died to take away our sins for the simple reason that we cannot remove them ourselves. Again, Christianity is a rescue religion. If you don't understand that the cross tells a very, very clear story that we were absolutely, completely, hopelessly lost, if not for the grace of God revealed in Jesus, if not for the cross, if not for our Savior. If we could take away our sins, his atoning death would be unnecessary. Indeed, to claim that we can end up in God's good books by our own efforts is an insult to Jesus Christ. It is equivalent to saying that we can manage without him and that he really need not have bothered to die. I just want to talk to you for a second about the seriousness of the Christian faith. 
And, and sometimes people out of ignorance will do things that are very deeply insulting, I believe, to, to Christ. And I believe even very damaging uh, to themselves and, and others around them. If we have any notion in ourselves that we can basically improve our condition and our standing with God by good behavior, every time we sort of allow that idea to kind of exist or come in, uh, we, we're really demeaning what Jesus did at the cross. Because he came in and he was the only one that lived a perfect life. He is the only lamb. And he, he, he died once and for all. And that is the only path to God. And so but for us to believe any sort of a, a spectrum of, of ideas on that it is really off. And yet what I'll find is so many Christians uh, have this idea of sort of moral therapeutic deism. It's like there's a God and, you know, he wants people to do good stuff. But if they don't, like it's kind of okay because Jesus died on the cross. So God kind of looks the other way. It's really not what it's like. And if I just kind of will do, you know, good, then, then God will give me good things. And it's, it's, it's not that. It's really this moment of the cross where God had all this wrath stored up because of sin actually is bad. If somebody said, you know, well, there was this Hitler guy and I mean, he had a problem with some people and I think there was like maybe five or six or eight million people that he was responsible for killing. But God just sort of looked the other way. What kind of a God is that? What kind of a God doesn't render righteous judgment on somebody like Pol Pot or Hitler or you or me? And so when we, when we diminish sin then we end up diminishing what Jesus actually did, which was take all of that and pay the entire bill and create the actual door by which we can get to God. Yeah, that's good. And so we, saying we can manage without him and that he really not bothered to die, as Paul put it, if righteousness could be gained through the law, meaning keeping the rules, doing the right stuff, then Christ died for nothing. But I'll tell you today that he did not die for nothing. He died because it was the only answer. And in his great mercy and, and love and grace, he died. The message of the cross remains in our day as in Paul's foolishness to the wise and a stumbling block to the self-righteous. But it has brought peace to the conscience of millions. Because when you get it, you get it. When you see it, when you taste and see, when you partake of the riches of glory, the riches of God's grace revealed in the cross, you willingly say, take me, Lord, I want to I die with you. I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings that I may attain to the resurrection. There is healing through the wounds of Christ. There is life through his death, pardon through his pain, salvation through his suffering. Now we're actually out of time. I'm going to take two minutes and talk about two things, and I'm not going to even be able to give you even the, the, the a hint or a, a, the barest whisper of the great teaching that would have come. But alas... We are out of time. So uh, first service, I did talk about these things. And so you can get it. Media team, can we put that available? Two sermons, all right. Uh, we'll have it available for you. So uh, two, two benefits of salvation. And again, there's, there's many, many, many. This is not exhaustive, but just to give you a highlight. Uh, number one is the fact that when you are saved, when you give your life to Jesus, it's not just a past event and it's not just a future expectation, but salvation is past, present, and future. John Stott says salvation is a wonderfully wide-ranging word, and it would be a great mistake to think that it refers only to the forgiveness of our sins. When people think about salvation, oftentimes they have this mistaken idea that salvation, giving your life to Jesus or praying a sinner's prayer or whatever, 
is basically a get out of hell free card or a get into heaven pass. And so many people have this idea, like I prayed this prayer, I said a prayer, Jesus saved me, and now I'm, I guess cosmically I'm sort of good. I sort of have a cosmic insurance policy. And that's just like kind of ish true, but not really the whole picture. Because actually salvation is giving your life to Jesus, trusting him uh, as your Lord and Savior. And then he also uh, wants to invade your life right now. He doesn't just want to get you to heaven when you die. He wants to get heaven into you so you can begin to live out and manifest his goodness and his glory in the here and the now. And so salvation is something that has happened. Like you'd say, hey, I gave my life to Jesus when I was four years old. I prayed a prayer. I, I became a follower of Jesus. But salvation is also happening. In other words, the work of Christ of sanctification is occurring right now. And there are benefits that come from this. Like for instance, one really quickly is that Jesus, when you receive Jesus, he gives you his Holy Spirit. Did you know that, that Jesus told his disciples, hey, it's actually good for you guys if I go. Now, why would it be good for them and why would it be good for us if Jesus left physically the planet, if he you know, left from where they were? He said, because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. You see, Jesus was with them, but the Holy Spirit would be in them. And when we talk about this problem of sin that we wrestle with, that the cross really is the solution to and the salvation of Christ, sin is not just, again, a series of bad mistakes, and then we can just kind of get better and clean it up on the field next time. Sin is actually a disease, and it's because the, the root system of our life is actually rotten. And so Jesus said, you don't need a repair. You don't need a, 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 a little bit of a, of a tweak. You need a brand new root system. And so when we talk about as Christians being born again, this is what Jesus means. He says, you've got to be born again. You were born naturally, but you have a fatal disease of sin. So now when you're saved, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and he's going to live on the inside of you. And now, as Paul says, in Christ, new creation. In Christ, new creation. And now there is a brand new nature on the inside of you, a new spirit, a new heart that actually is going to wrestle and war against that sinful fleshly nature that you've known since the day that you were born. It's interesting because as a Christian, I will often have this thought. Maybe you have it too. Man, I'm not, I'm not being a very good Christian right now. Ever think this? I'm doing a lot of rotten stuff. I've been greedy. I've been lustful. I've been yelling at people. I've been a jerk. I've been cussing at people on the belt line and then, and then praying right after to like, you know, try to wipe it away. I've been cussing at the football games because the Ducks can't close a game. You know what I mean? I've been, I'm not being a very good Christian. Did you know that if you weren't actually saved, you could not have that awareness? The fact that you feel conviction for your sin is representative of the fact that there is actually a new nature on the inside of you that wrestles against your native nature of sin and flesh. And so when you begin to feel that wrestling and go, oh God, I actually see my sinfulness, thank him because what that means is there is light that is fighting with the darkness on the inside of you and his spirit is on the inside of you changing you. And so as we walk out this way of the cross and we deny ourselves and we die daily, we say, you know what? I want to lust and I want to be greedy and I want to be prideful and I want to do my own thing and I want to act self-righteous and I want, I want, 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 give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. When I feel that, when I want to be Jake and I don't want to be the new Jake who's in Christ, then what I need to do is 
say, no, that needs to go to the cross. I need to crucify that with Christ. Lord, help me to suffer with you so that I can partake of this new resurrection life that you've already planted as a seed inside of me so that one day when this body actually does go into the ground, not just like it was represented in the waters, but when it actually goes into the ground, that I will be resurrected. And like the scripture says, not only will I be resurrected physically, but I will be completely renewed and I will be the person that God made me to be all along. This salvation is working right now and it was past and it's present and it's future. And it's all because the spirit of Christ dwells on the inside and there's so much more, but I'm done. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, God, that we would begin to taste and see that you are good and we'd begin to partake of your truth and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I pray that as we've just been skimming the, the, the wave tops about what the cross represents, that we would have a deep hunger and thirst to know you and the fellowship of your sufferings so that we may attain to the resurrection. Lord, that we know that through the cross is the path of life. By putting our trust and our faith in you, and by giving our allegiance to your Holy Spirit on a daily basis and dying to ourselves, saying no to ourselves and saying yes to your spirit, that you are making us more like you. Lord, that we might not feel it or see it or recognize it. It even takes faith to believe it, but you are actually transforming us. That we can say, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Lord, that we could say, I, I was a sinner, but I'm, I'm a saint. I'm being made righteous. Thank you that your work at the cross was effective for our salvation, both in eternity and also in the outworking in the day-to-day -day basis. Lord, I pray that we would understand what you have done so that we may glory and revel in it, Lord, on a daily basis as your followers. What a rich inheritance you've provided to us, your children. We stand in awe of you, Lord. We worship you today in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you want to put your faith and trust in Christ, you know, there's a lot of words spoken today. Didn't have a chance to finish the whole message, but if you would like to place your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity. We do this every single week. And all I want to ask you to do is take a simple step of faith. Just raise your hand. If you say, Pastor Jake, I, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to give my life to him and, and become his disciple. This is a great, great moment in order to make that decision. And it's just the start of a journey of following Jesus. So if that's you today, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Please pray after me. Let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I have not lived up to your standard. But thank you for your grace and mercy and for your payment that you made for me on the cross. You gave your life for me. You ransomed me and rescued me from sin and death. I trust you. I give you my life today in Jesus' name. Amen.